Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. All right, so a few years ago, I went on a uh, fishing trip with my friend Dave. Um, We just went out to Silver Lake. We're going to take a small yellow boat out there. And uh, so he has this small two-person boat with a trolling motor. If you know what fishing is, trolling motor is just a small motor, outboard motor you you put in there, and so you can drag your line across the water. It's like the easiest way to fish ever. And so we, anyways, we drop the boat in, um, the boat launch, we take off, and it's, it's a pleasant day. We got a weekday off, so there's nobody on the lake. It's just us, beautiful day. We make it all the way across the lake. And then the motor dies. <laughs> the motor dies in this boat, and so it's just me and Dave stuck uh, out here in, in Lake uh, Silver Lake. Um, we didn't catch any fish, and, and my first thought was, you know, I'm just going to keep fishing, and hopefully this thing will correct itself, right? I'm just going to ignore <laughs> the problem. It's a good first rule. Just ignore the problem. See if it goes away on its own, right? So that's what, that's what I did. I just ignored it. It did not go away. The motor did not magically, miraculously start up. So I had to put my fishing pole away. And we had to figure out, OK, what are we going to do? How are we going to get this boat back to shore? And Dave only brought one oar. So, so first of all, the wind is blowing against the boat. So Dave's trying to oar, you know, and I got my arm. Like, that's going to do anything. But I got my arm in the water. Dave's got his oar back there, and what we end up doing is just spinning in circles, <laughs> going nowhere. And so, I don't know what to do. And Dave doesn't say anything. Dave's kind of a quiet guy. He doesn't say anything. But all of a sudden, I look over, and Dave's taking his shirt off, jumps in the water, hugs the boat, and is just trying to kick his way <laughs> back to shore. It's a long way to go. I did not jump in the water. I'm like, well, okay, I'll grab the oar and I'll just hang out <laughs> like a good friend. I'm not jumping in, sorry. I had jeans on, yeah, I wasn't gonna jump in the water. Um, so anyway, so it took us an hour and a half of that to get back to shore. It was exhausting, especially for Dave, not really for me. <laughs> Dave's like cold and exhausted and we load up his boat and Dave and I never went fishing again. <laughs> Um, I mean, not together. We never went fishing together. But, uh, you know, it was just one of those things. We thought it was going to be great, but then we lost power and everything. Game changer. The, the, the trip was over. It was the worst fishing trip I've ever been on. Um, and today, as we t- continue our series, we've been in a series called Jesus versus Religion. And as we continue our series, we're going to talk about the power of God that God has power, that God gives his people power. And uh, I honestly believe that the biggest problem in Christianity is that we try to live the Christian life without the power of God. That we try to live the Christian life without the power of God. We basically look like Dave in our Christian life. Like we are trying to swim the boat to shore on our own effort. And I honestly believe that that is the biggest issue in Christianity today that we are exhausting ourselves trying to move the boat back to shore. 
but that's not what the boat was designed for. The boat was designed to have a motor that would propel you around the shore, and yet we're ignoring that motor, and we're just trying to do everything on our own effort. Let's take a step back. Does life ever feel that way to you? Does life ever feel like you got an arm, and you're just trying everything you can just to make it back to shore? You're just trying to survive. Like you ever start a week, and on Monday, you're like, I just got to power through this week. I just got to power through to Saturday. You know, I just got to make it through. I've got too many demands. I just have to survive. You know, ever life ever feel like that? Like you just give up on Monday? You're like, okay, I just got to get through. Um, maybe every time you hit a crisis in your life, it feels like the straw that break is breaking the camel's back. Where you're like, man, I'm ready to throw in the towel. Like, I am done. I can't, I can't fix this anymore. I can't fix my family. I can't fix my marriage. I can't fix my workplace. And you're just done. The truth is that God never intended for his children to live life without his power. The, he, he never intended for his children to try to figure out life on their own. And so why do we get stuck trying to fix everything ourselves? Um, today we're going to look at this as we open up Matthew 21. And last week, Lloyd was here. He preached. He's still here. Awesome. Um, but Lloyd preached, and he talked about this defining moment um, for Jesus as he overturns tables in the temple. Is it cleansing the temple, getting basically everybody out who was there in the temple for personal gain. And uh, after that moment, so Jesus travels two miles outside of Jerusalem to this little town called Bethany, probably to rest. Um, and then we find him walking back from Bethany. And as we come to verse 18, Jesus is on his way back to Jerusalem with his disciples, and you'll see what happens. So in the morning, this is uh, Matthew 21, 18, if you have your Bibles. It'll be also be on the screen here. Uh, it says, In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say this to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive, if you have faith. So here we have Jesus, and he's traveling up a mountain. It's like a short hike uh, uphill um, to get to Jerusalem. And apparently Jesus didn't pack any trail mix, because as he comes to this fig tree, he, he wants to eat. He's hungry. And he sees a fig tree, and it has no fruit on it. The thing about this is that th this would be in a season where there wouldn't be any figs on the tree. Like, this would just be a natural occurrence. But Jesus kills the tree. He curses it, and it dies right there before the disciples, and the disciples just stand amazed by his power. A lot of people don't like the story because it doesn't seem like characteristic of Jesus. Like, that seems kind of petty, right? Just like, all right, it doesn't have fruit, so you kill the tree. What's going on? Um, some pastors actually avoid talking about this because it's like a weird story, kind of. But I think that there's more to this story than meets the eye. Because I don't think Jesus was as concerned about getting a snack for the road as much as he was wanting to show his power to his disciples. 
Um, what you need to understand about figs is figs were the most loved fruit in all of Israel. They loved figs. I don't get it because I've had raw figs and they're gross. <laughs> they're really gross. I don't know. Maybe you like them, but I don't understand it. If it was a fig Newton tree, I would be all over that thing. But it wasn't. It was just figs. So it, now if I, if I came to a fig Newton tree and I saw that there were no fig Newtons there, I would be very disappointed because I can eat sleeves of fig Newtons. But here's the deal um, with the fig tree. In the mind of a Jewish person, the fig tree represents the people of God. I want to share this verse with you from Jeremiah 8. Uh, God says this to the prophet Jeremiah. He says, when I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them. So in this passage, the prophet Jeremiah is talking about the people of God, Israel, and he's saying, when I would, if, when I would gather them, when I would come to bring my people together, I would find no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered. And what I, even, what I gave them has passed away from them. So, so what he's saying is that there's no fruit. Like, these are my people, and I'm, and I'm here, and I'm not seeing any fruit in my people. The people who um, God has called to his own, they appear lifeless and lost. They don't look any different than the world around them. There's no evidence that God has had any impact on their lives. And I think that's an important thing for us to wrestle with today. Like, can people see the fruit of God in our lives? Like, if, if your name was Sam and somebody, uh, could somebody ask the question, um, what difference has Jesus made in Sam's life? Would they be able to identify what those things are? Because the Jewish people, they lived in this culture that was immersed with God. They had traditions and, and rules. They had festivals and feasts. They had holidays. And while they claimed to know God, Jesus is saying here that there's no evidence of spiritual fruit in their lives. They're like this withered tree. And so here's the point. As we bring it back to religion, Jesus versus religion, it's this. Is that religion is a fruitless struggle. That if we're just maintaining, if we're just doing all the stuff without a relationship to God, that it's just a fruitless struggle. It's a fruitless cycle that we can get trapped in. See, we've been talking about religion for the past couple weeks, and not necessarily the big, broad category of religion, but living in a religious way. And simply put, religion is our attempt to gain God's approval. It's what we do to please God just because we think we have to. It's our duty. Um, in contrast, God uses relationship to transform our lives from the inside out. God uses relationship with us to transform our lives from the inside out. See, living in a religious way is a trap. It doesn't actually accomplish the will of God in our lives. Um, Francis Chan talks about this in his book, Forgotten God. I want to read a part of it. He says, churchgoers all across the nation say the Holy Spirit has entered them. They claim that God has given them a supernatural ability to follow Christ, put their sin to death, and serve the church. Christians talk about being born again and say that they were dead and they now have come to life. And we have become hardened to those words, but they are power powerful words that have significant meaning. Yet when those outside the church see no difference in our lives, they begin to question our integrity, our sanity, or even worse, our God. 
can you blame them? And so we all need to ask ourselves, if I call myself a Christian, where's the fruit of that? Where is the fruit? Um, I was having a conversation in a discipleship group earlier this week about how hard it can be to share our faith, you know? Uh, it's something we know we should do, but it's really difficult. And uh, we, sometimes it becomes such a burden, we avoid doing it at all. You know, it's like, I just, I don't know if I want to do that. And um, the truth is, is that Jesus, the things that Jesus asks us to do are often impossible without his help, without his strength, without him at work in our lives. The things that he asked us to do can't be done. And that's sort of the point. That's sort of the point, that we would depend on him for everything. It's impossible to follow Jesus and be, uh, it's impossible to follow Jesus without his help. It's impossible to be selfless without God's help. We are selfish people, just naturally inclined for ourselves all the time. Unless there's an internal change, we're stuck. Unless there's something happening on the inside. And if we try to be selfless, but we don't have internal change, then it comes across cold. And that leads us sort of to the main point today, and it's this. Transform people rely on the power of God to achieve the purpose of God. Transform people. They rely on the power of God to achieve the purpose of God. God doesn't just give us an assignment and say, go. He also gives us his power. And if we're going to be transformed and if we're going to live in a way that matters, then we have to learn how to rely on the power of God for everything and everything in our lives. See, religion relies on human-made change to achieve God's purpose. It relies on our effort, our strength. You know, I can become a better person if I work hard enough. I can please God if I check the boxes, um, church attendance, or being nice to people, or waving at your neighbor, or whatever that box is. Um, you know, when the disciples first see the withered tree, when they see the power of God, it says they were astonished. They were like, whoa, what is going on here? They were taken aback. It threw them off. Like this display of the power of God threw them off. But their first response is telling. The first word out of their mouths is the word how. How could this happen? Um, how did the fig tree just die in front of us? How did it wither up? See, the instant death of this, the fig tree seemed impossible, and yet it happened. It, it, it happened in front of their eyes. And so they asked how because they couldn't make sense of what they were seeing. And it, it made me think, how many times in our lives, fig tree aside, how many times in our lives do we wrestle with the question how? How is this going to work? How am I going to make it through? How am I going to make ends meet? You ever have too much month and not enough money, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, how am I going to beat my addiction and get healthy? You know, how am I going to save my marriage? Like, I don't even like my spouse right now. Like, how am I supposed to save my marriage? Um, that was not, that was an example, okay? Just to clarify, I love my spouse, okay? I feel like I do need to just say that. That was a theoretical example. Um, how am I going to find fulfillment? You know, there's so many different things that we look for fulfillment for. What can I invest my life in that's going to bring a reward? Where do, I, where do I fit? You know, you too, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? Like we, how are we going to find fulfillment? And we try and we try and we try and we do all these different things. 
you know, for the last two years, it was like, how are we going to, you know, reach people for Jesus and Blaine? How are we going to meet people where they're at? What, God, what are you going to do with our community? Those are questions that I've been asking. And every day we run into the question of how. It like dominates work, it dominates family, it dominates everything. How rules everything. And I think we struggle to pray because we're so stressed out by this question, how? How is this going to happen? Instead of trusting God, what we do is we grab the control, we grab the issue out of his hands, and we start fumbling around with it, trying to figure out how we're going to make it work instead of trusting him. You know, it could be because we don't, we're not really sure that he can handle the details. Maybe that's why we hold back. We're not really sure that he's got it figured out. You know, maybe we think if we let him take it, that, you know, I don't know what it is. If it's fear, but for some reason, we keep letting this question of how dominate our world. But what God shows us in this passage in the withered fig tree is that God wants control of the how. God wants to control the how. He wants to control the how in our lives for everything. Again, he says, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain that they're standing on, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And this is the point here, is that while religion relies on human-made change, faith relies on God-made change. Faith relies on God-made change in our lives. Because I believe that we have mountains that we don't know how to cast into the sea. We have mountains in our lives that we don't know what to do with. And God wants us to trust them to him. Jesus' qualifier for whether or not he will act is this phrase, if you have faith. If you have faith. It comes down to faith. So that's the question of our lives. Have we put our faith in the power of God to create change? Is our hope in Jesus to fig figure it out for us? Or are we trying to do everything ourselves? Now, there is an apparent danger in this verse. See, many people have used this verse and others like it to fuel what we know is like the prosperity heard of the prosperity gospel movement. It's this idea that, hey, if you name it and claim it, it's yours. And it's sort of taking this idea and saying, well, cool. Well, if we can, if we can just pray with enough faith, we can get whatever we want you know, material prosperity, um, financial security and wealth. You know, we, we, we take the focus and we make it more on our comfort, you know. But I want to be clear that any gospel that promotes using God to get material prosperity is not a real gospel. Because it's not trying to put God in our box. He's actually trying to put us in his, if that makes sense. Jesus didn't come so that you, you could have a comfortable, pain-free life. He came and died so that you could find your life in him. And when he says that anyone who wants to follow him must also deny themselves and takes up their cross, what that means is we actually are learning to, to die to the human uh, passions and, and pleasures so that we can find pleasure in God, so that we can be made alive through the Holy Spirit. Um, in fact, James 4, 3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. 
So no, God makes his power available to us to accomplish his purpose first. His purpose for us and his purpose for the world, not our purpose. And where our life is is when we align our purpose with God's purpose. When we become one with God, when we're on the same page, when we walk with God, that's when we really find life. Because we're, we don't need to get busy trying to create our own life. Like, we just need to get busy aligning with the life that God wants us to live and that he leads us into. And God may choose to bless you financially, or he may not, and both are for his glory. Either, either he chooses to bless or, or he might not. Maybe he's withholding because he doesn't want you to get too comfortable and forget to pursue him. What I do know is this, is that when you hand your life over to God, it's always an adventure. It's always an adventure. He leads you into the unknown and the unexpected. Instead of working and striving to, to just maintain or do the things that you want to do, you get lost in this new life wherever God leads you. Um, following Jesus changes your perspective on prosperity because all of a sudden you're not focused on prosperity in the here and now. You're focused on eternity. You're focused on what is ultimately good, not just what is immediately good. Because God wants us to focus on what is ultimately good. How could God use us? to create change that would last for generations? How could God use our lives to speak to someone else? How could God use our lives to point others to him? Because when we live with an eternal perspective, we know that God cares more about our ultimate good often than our immediate good. He cares about our immediate good, but his focus is always on who we're becoming. Who are we becoming? So are you willing to trust God for your ultimate good. Because if we believe that God cares about our ultimate good, it says that we can ask anything according to his will, and he'll do it. According to his will. And I know that we might struggle with that idea, because if you're like me, you've prayed sometimes for change, for healing, for different things to happen, and you haven't seen those things happen. And, and I don't come here with an answer today to say, oh, this is why it didn't happen. I can't answer that. And, and we may not have an answer for that, this side of heaven. Um, but in my life, there have also been times where I've prayed and God's done things. Where I've prayed and I've seen God heal people. Um, you know, I want to tell a story um, in my life, but I want to kind of put a warning out first because um, it has to do with when we thought we were losing a baby. And I know that there um, are a lot of people in here who have lost a baby during pregnancy or, or, or whatever. So I want to be sensitive to that. And if that's you right now, just know that your church family is here to love you. Um, but I just want to tell you this story because it's a way that we saw God just mightily at work in our lives. Um, so four years ago, we were expecting our third baby, and we were really excited, and we went to the seven-week ultrasound. And when we got there our excitement changed to heartbreak because what we found out was that um, babies are supposed to have a heartbeat at six weeks and it had been seven and there was no heartbeat. And so the gal there asked us, okay, well, um, man, do you want us to remove the baby now or do you just want to wait? And so we had to make this decision. We're like, well, I think we'll wait. So we waited and gave it a week. We said, we'll come back in a week and see what happened. So anyways, we go to church that Sunday. We just have this huge weight on our hearts. 
huge weight, just overwhelming thought. And we just kind of feel helpless. And, and during the last song, like many, in many churches, they ask um, for you to, you know, come forward if you want prayer. And I don't know if you've been in that spot, but you're like wrestling with God, like, should I? I don't really want to. But we went up, Bonnie and I went up, we went up to the front and we got there and the pastor was there and he asked me this question. He's like, well, heard about our story. And he said, well, how do you want me to pray for you? And what he was really asking is like, do you want me to pray for healing or do you want me to pray that God would comfort you in your loss? And so he said, well, we want you to pray for healing. And so he prayed for healing and we went home. So the next day I was meeting with my friend Mike for coffee. Mike and I are not close, really. Um, when I was working at Rebound, he was in the nonprofit circles, and so we just got to know each other. Anyways, um, we're meeting, uh, we're talking about different things, and um, in the middle of this conversation, he just stops me, and he says, um, Tyler, this, this may seem weird. <laughs> this may seem weird, but God wants me to tell you that your son is going to be okay. I sat back. I was like, what? My first thought was, I had a two-year-old John at the time. I was like, John? He's okay. He's healthy. And then I thought it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, man, he must be talking about the baby. And it was this moment where I felt the tangible presence of God. You know, maybe you've had a moment like that where you're just floored by what God's done, by his mercy. I didn't deserve that. We didn't deserve that more than anyone else. It just, God gave us this word from him. And I told him what was going on, and he just said, praise God. And so sure enough, we go back to the ultrasound that week later, and our baby has a heartbeat. Amen. What was crazy was that this baby now measured physically smaller than it had before, but it had a heartbeat. And, uh, like, we just knew that God answered our prayer. And sure enough, and Mike had spoken at the six-month ultrasound, we found out it was a boy. You know, I was like, wow, this is crazy. Um, <laughs> it's like, how did this happen, right? Um, and we named our son Elisha because what Elisha means is God is my salvation. God saves. Only God could do that. And so I know that God doesn't answer all our prayers, but I do know that he always wants us to ask. He always wants us to come forward and ask him to b uh, bring up our burdens. And he wants to answer that. He wants to display his power through his church. So as we wrap things up this morning, I want to look again at the question how, but this time I want to ask this question. How do we rely on the power of God? How do we more rely on the power of God? How do we move further into depending on God for everything? And the first is this, instead of doubting, hold on to your faith firmly. Another word for doubting is wavering, and the image I get is like someone swerving all over the road. And God is saying, hey, just stay on the road, okay? Just, just stay in the lines. Faith is choosing to stay in the lines, just to continue to press on. But faith is hard because life is hard, right? Life is hard. We get overwhelmed by our circumstances, what we have to face day in and day out. You know, when I get stressed, sometimes the last thing I want to do is pray. I'll be honest. 
I want to grab it. I want to take care of it. I want to figure it out. The last thing I want to do is let God figure it out for me when I'm stressed. But he says, instead of doubting, hold on to your faith. The second thing is, instead of getting distracted, pray constantly. Instead of allowing ourselves to get distracted by the things that we're doing in life, pray constantly. You know, there are a lot of things that vie for our attention every day. People, um, you know, different, different things, spouse, friends, uh, people who want you to join things, buy things. Um, you know, there's a million things you can do to distract yourselves. What if the time that we protected the most was our time alone with God? What if our non-negotiable time was our time that we spent alone with God? I think that alone would change your life. I think that alone would change your life. Even if you started your morning by saying, not my will, but your will be done, God. Whatever you want to do with my day, do it. I think God would honor that. You know, I am excited about prayer. And I'm excited. I want to see us pray more as a church. Um, Last year, God put it on my friend Justin's heart to start a 6 a.m. morning men's prayer time at Blaine Christian Fellowship, and it's still going on. Um, We meet every morning at 6 a.m. Every Monday. What did I say? Not every morning. No, 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 not, not that. Don't get me wrong. Like, no. Every Monday morning. Yeah, yeah. Every Monday. I'm not that great, but whew, yeah, no thanks. I could, I could not do that at 6 a.m. Like one morning a week, I'm like, okay, I can make it this time. Yeah. Um, but I love it because it, it really is just sitting in a room with, with people who are seeking God. Like I would love to see more prayer groups just kind of start um, because it's just spending that time with God. Um, you know, prayer helps us hand over control of what's going on in our lives to God. It helps us align our heart with God's heart. You know, even when we don't know to pray, it says the Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. You know, so just pray. Um, In prayer, we push forward. We don't pray passively, and I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Like, don't try to hedge your bets. Like, pray in faith. You know, if God's put something on your heart, pray it. And pray it boldly. He's going to listen. He's going to act. And lastly, as the worship team comes up, Um, instead of drying up, we receive life from God. And that's the biggest thing, is that instead of being a withered tree when we're plugged into God, we receive life from him. God doesn't want us to be withered trees. He wants us to be fruit-bearing trees. Um, Settling for a religious approach to God, it dries us up. It kind of hardens our soul. God wants us to release that to him. He wants to till the soil in our hearts so that his fruit can grow. Um, Jesus wants us to receive the life that he offers us. He wants to be our life. And if Carrie Underwood was here, she'd say, Jesus wants to take the wheel. So um, threw that in for you country fans today. Um, But in Luke 11, Jesus challenges his disciples to believe that God wants to give us good things. Um, He challenges them to trust him, that he is a good father, that he will give. Um, And this is his logic in Luke 11. And this is sort of the closing verse here. It says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, God has this amazing gift called the Holy Spirit himself 
that he wants to give to us if we ask him in faith. And that Holy Spirit changes everything about our lives from the inside out. And so that is the starting point today. The, one of the most ancient prayers in the church is, Come Holy Spirit, come into my life. And that's what I want to make some time for. I actually want to make some time for that today. I want you to think about, what do I need to give to God? What am I fumbling around with that I just need to let go of? Or if you've never prayed to receive the Holy Spirit, would you be courageous enough to just pray that simple prayer, Come Holy Spirit. Don't settle for trying to swim the boat ashore yourself. Ask for God's power to take over. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to leave some space for you to pray. Um, And then the worship team will close. God, it's a scary thing and an awesome thing that You want your power to be evident in your people. That you want to change our lives. That you want, that you care about all of it. Whatever the struggle is, whatever the issue is, God, that you care about all of it. And Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit to change our lives is an amazing thing. God, and so I pray that if if we haven't felt that for a long time or if we've never felt that, I pray that you would give us courage to pray for your spirit to take over our lives. God, to open up our hands, to, Lord, help us stop asking the question how and just start looking to you. God, I know that requires faith. I know that requires surrender, God. Give us courage to do that. Lord, give us courage to open our hands to you. And so let's just take a minute and pray what you need to pray to God this morning. Jesus, I thank you for loving us. Jesus, I thank you for reaching out to us. I thank you for all of the things you do, that you, you love us. You're not looking to force us into anything, God, but you just care about us. Lord, I pray, God, that you, your spirit would come to rest in our hearts this morning. God, I pray that as we go out this week, that it, this week would not be about survival, uh, but it would be about seeking you looking for what you would, how you would lead us, God, helping us to deal with the mess that we find ourselves in, God. Lord, I pray for that this morning, God. Would you help us in our journey? Would you come alongside us? And if we need comfort, bring us comfort. If we need help, bring us help. Uh, If we need encouragement, bring encouragement. Lord, it's all there. It's all there in you. And so, God, we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.